Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 214 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks first to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we dissected the commonly used legal text saying these days uh, that goes, people process technology in that order, and whether we thought it's really true or not. And we recommend that you listen to that discussion if people process and technology are of interest to you, and they should be. In this episode, we go back to some basics on cleaning up your personal data storage, a topic at the top of mind for me after our recent move to Ann Arbor. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing spring cleaning and uh, taking a fresh look at your personal data storage and filing approaches. In our second segment, we're going to talk about rebooting or more likely resetting your home and office routers in response to a recent FBI warning about malware. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, spring cleaning uh, your personal data. Dennis, my main comment here is that with Dallas uh, seeing temperatures in the hundreds for the next week or so, I'd say spring is long gone. But um, in my opinion, cleaning your computers and your devices is always a good idea, no matter the season, no matter the time of year. The problem with cleaning, though, is that somebody actually has to get up and do it. There's not an easy button for doing this job, which is why we want to talk about it today. Dennis, why isn't this just a set and forget issue? You know, I, I really wish it was. And, and I know there are some people who use different uh, software tools like Hazel and other things to do some automatic cleaning for them. But those are sort of rare people. And as we were moving, I started to, to think about all the data I had, all the different places, what I was going to take with me, what I was going to consolidate, how I was going to get on top of it, what needed to be sort of archived in a sense, and what I would want to make available. So I, I, there were some things I did before the move. I was careful how I moved things here and, and backing up uh, in more places online. And then once I got here, I also kind of was ready to launch into things. But Gosh, it's just really hard. I mean, what I notice is that it's not, I mean, Tom, you do, you're in the records management world, and, and it's sort of like, not. To, I don't feel like I have hard drives anymore. I feel like I have personal data repositories these days. Even one person just has a huge amount of data. Is, is, is that the same feeling you get? Oh, no, it absolutely is. And, and if we're talking, if we're spending most of this time talking about personal data repositories, um, you know, I would say that 
at a personal level, I think it's a lot harder to manage. It's a lot harder to deal with than it would be, frankly, at a law firm or a business level. At the law firm or company level, you can at least implement some tools, uh, you know, Hazel notwithstanding, there aren't a lot of personal tools out there that can automate the process of deletion, not for individuals. And when you're talking about your own personal stuff, you're really talking about more manual, thoughtful processes for dealing with things, for cleaning things out. And here's the problem with that, is that we really don't want to take the time to do this stuff. We, we've got day jobs. We don't want to just come home and do cleaning. And we've got other things we'd rather be doing. And I think probably, as I've probably mentioned on the podcast where we've talked about information governance, I think most of us would just prefer to keep everything. And I'm sure we're going to get into that subject in just a minute. But I think I've mentioned, you know, this on the podcast before, there are really good reasons why you should clean out your stuff occasionally, whether it's personal or work. I mean, those reasons are going to be, if we're talking personal, we're mostly talking about productivity. The more stuff you have, the harder it is to get through it, to find it. Um, You know, we can talk about just pointing a search tool at it and dealing with it. But frankly, if the search results come up with lots and lots and lots of old, maybe irrelevant stuff that you don't need anymore, it's not useful to you whether you keep it all and and keep it in one place. That may be the main driver for individuals. Um, Cost may be a lesser issue for people. It's probably more of an issue for your firm, for your company, or things like that. But I think that there's really some good reasons for it, and that's why we. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this today. Yeah, I mean, I think it does come down to that notion of these days where you sort of think, hey, storage is really cheap these days. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like it was two terabyte drive is probably under $100 these days. So storage, super cheap. And there's this notion of, hey, maybe I should just keep everything. And you can do search, but I think it conceptually that's easy, but I just keep running into different problems that come up. So I have a bunch of backup hard drives, all of them about a terabyte. And then you make trying to make a decision, well, okay, so what's stored on these? Do I put photos on these, music on one? Are they all backup? Is it complete on each one? Or, you know, or what is the overlap? What might be missing? And what happens if I drop one, which I've done before? And then the searching, I just ran into this big issue because I was doing tons of scanning before we moved. And I was using my my scan snap, which auto names things. And so I decided I'll just go with the auto naming and, you know, it OCRs things so I can search. And you're right, Tom, you can search, but sometimes there's like a zillion results it looks like when you're just looking for something that has your name and, you know, like as a PowerPoint presentation you did or something like that, or you're looking for a certain bill. And um, then you got to wade through that stuff. And, and, you know, on some things I would add like a little thing that would say, you know, like house documents or, you know, something like that to help identify. But uh, most cases I didn't. And I'm not going to go back through that. All those sort of files with sort of random numerical names or semi-random names to sort those out. So that sort of save everything, scan and search kind of works, but it's it mainly works on stuff that I don't really need to look at again because uh, because that it just brought up a bigger problem for me than I expected. So I got rid of all the paper. That's the good news. But I'm not sure I've got everything captured in, in something that's usable for me rather than just a stored form. Maybe part of that's because you relied on the technology to tell you what you 
what you needed to do without actually saying, here's the best way to, to go about it. I mean, I think that what's interesting about this conversation so far is that you are talking almost solely from the standpoint of standalone storage, mobile storage. I'm coming at this, and I have come from this, and we'll be talking about this more, coming completely from a cloud-based standpoint. Because my first question to you is, why do you need all those backup hard drives? What's the point? Back it up to the cloud. You know, I've got one version in the cloud storage that I use, but I also have one backup. Why do you need more than that? And I guess you can answer that in just a second. But I think that for me, the arguments against keeping everything forever is what are you keeping? Does it matter that you're keeping it for a long time in terms of what if you get hacked? What if your computer, for some reason, we talk about what we're going to talk about in our B segment, the, if, what if that happens to you and you get hacked? What if somebody gets into your documents? What if you lose your hard drive and someone, I'm assuming it's encrypted, but what if someone was able to get into it? Does your hoarding hurt you if someone gets into those files. Um, I think that from a business standpoint, that's certainly a bigger risk. There are bigger risks. There's bigger costs that are available. But, you know, I know lots of people who keep all their bank statements for the last 25 years. And if someone was able to get into all of those if, and you're keeping them for that long, what does that do for you? Does that hurt you or not? And it may be a risk that you're willing to take. But I think that being able to sort these things, get through them all, get them in a way where I can access them when I need them, because really what I do is, is that if I need to search through things, I'm not actually a searcher. I am, I think we've talked about this before on a, on a prior podcast when we talk about email, is that um, email users are either filers or pilers. Uh, the pilers are the people who just put it all in a folder and let Google search it. The filers are the ones who actually try to set some kind of system up and naming conventions and ways to do that. And I try to do that, so I wind up being somebody who can drill down and navigate to the file that I need without having to use the search tool very often. Frankly, I find the Windows search tool not real helpful. I've actually tried to use the, the online OneDrive or the online Dropbox. I don't find that terribly helpful either. I'd, I'd actually rather use Google's I don't use Google Drive for my storage, but the one thing that would make sense about that is to actually uh, use the search tool because I think it's the one that would actually get me where I need to. So I'll, I'll come back to my original question and say, why all the mobile backup? Why all the standalone backup stuff? Well, because I'm in, I'm in a period of transition, you know, so now I am closer to you in relying on OneDrive and Dropbox and, you know, the, the iCloud um, to a lesser extent because I recognize the inherent difficulties. But I also have, you know, all these, all these portable hard drives, USB drives, other things I've gathered over the years. And so I'm transitioning away from those. And so you have this, uh, I think what you run into is that notion of saying, well, if I got everything up into the cloud, um, and I knew that, then I could get rid of this other stuff. But I don't know how good of a job I did on any of that stuff. And so there is that sort of pack rat mentality that says, oh, just to be careful, I'll have this stuff. Although, I mean, I think you probably run this into your work all the time. People are really concerned about saving stuff that they will never, ever, ever, ever look at again. And Constantly, so I'm, man. Yeah. So I'm looking, at, I'm looking at that, and then I also say, how do I get rid of that stuff? How do I make it more rational? I'm the classic piler versus the filer. I, I can tell you that. And then also, how do we move? So we have the different online things. How are we sure that we are consistent in both in those 
repositories. And then what about the things like Google Docs and Slack and other things where we're storing documents? How do we make sure that we're able to find everything? So there's a sort of, I guess, from my perspective, that sense of things kind of really getting a little bit out of control, but the need to say, can I organize things in a way so there's an archive that maybe I need to find something someday and I feel comfortable knowing it's there and then something that's more of a file system that says here are things I might need to access templates other you know presentations I've done stuff like that can I make them a lot more accessible so I can find them so I don't know that whether that's a a great answer to your question I'm just saying time I'm I'm in transition and it's just sort of um, bringing up for me what are a new set of problems but once I think that we all need to, to start to take on. But, you know, it's not any different from what we see and what in my job I see in the corporate world is that individuals who are working for corporations wind up having 10 or 15 different repositories where they store information. And they always have difficulty figuring out, now, where did I keep this or where do I put that? And they're generally stored and organized different in all 15. I mean, it's it, there's, there's no consistency in those. And what we try to do is we try to put together a strategy that says, look, let's consolidate the repositories that you have. It may not be possible to just go down to one repository. For me and my personal I'm really able to keep things primarily in OneDrive. I do use Dropbox for the friends of mine who use it, but I really only use it as a file transfer mechanism. Because I've got Office 365, I'm using OneDrive all the time. I like it. It works just great for me. So why do I need anything else? I've got a backup. I don't keep anything on on mobile storage or anything like that. But maybe you or whoever's listening to this can't get to that one repository. But the goal should be, get to a reasonable amount of consolidation and stick to the plan. You know, we talk about how can you find things better. Naming conventions are a dime a dozen. Everybody has their own naming convention. Great. Find your naming convention and stick with it. Don't deviate from it. Find whatever works for you and use it. To me, that's that's the best advice is to just find the one that works the best for you and don't get rid of it because I think that's where things get out of control is, you know, I see it a lot with my corporate clients where things get out of control, where I go into a file share, a shared drive, and I find a folder that's just called Dave or a file folder of, you know, last year's Christmas menus and things like that. And people just go in and store things and they don't have any rhyme or reason with how they've done it. And that's really how it gets out of control. Pick a plan, develop a strategy, and you stand a better chance of being able to kind of bring order to that, whether you're keeping it all or whether you're getting rid of it. Yeah, and I also think there's this weird sort of sunk cost notion, right? So you're saying, look, if I'm paying $99 a year for Dropbox and, you know, and I bought this hard drive for $100 and it's like, you know, I'm going to use them because I paid for them. So the, I think you probably have to overcome some of that. So I think the consolidation is good. But that brings up a number of things I think that you can probably talk to, Thomas. So... I would like something that's like a federated search, I'll call it, so I can search across everything. Because I know there's stuff that's escaping, like I said, Slack, Google Docs, those sorts of things. And is there a way to 
to search across those or to pull those together. So generally that's, people call that federated search. Naming conventions, I think you're right. You just pick something and you go with it. Version control can be a little tricky. Kind of the best time for me personally was when I was using World Docs on one computer and just pulling everything into that because then it was just handling things, naming, version control, all of that. So that was an approach. And then there's duplication. Okay, so you have all these these files, and which one is the real one, and why do you have so many copies of things, especially photos and, and MP3s and stuff? And then I just think it just, I look at what most people are doing, including myself, and it just feels so darn messy. So, I don't know, Tom, do you have thoughts on those problems that come up? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's messy because it lacks order. Uh, and maybe that's just self-evident one that I say that. But if it had order, then it would be easier for you to deal with on a regular basis. And so my first recommendation, whether you're doing it for yourself or whether you're doing this in a company is, you know, we recommend that companies have yearly cleanup days, whether they're just doing paper or whether they're going into their email and their electronic records, set aside time once a year, don't do it all the time. And if you if you want to do it all the time, that's great. But don't put yourself through that. If you really want to find a time to one, set up a schedule, set up your strategy, and follow it. But then also take that time to go in and say, all right, the way that I like to set some of my files up, or I do them by year, is usually how I'm setting up my articles, my presentations, uh, my family expenses and, and, and financial stuff. I usually set it up by year, which should make it easy for me to just go in and just lop off the oldest year once I get to a point where I'm comfortable. It's that sort of level of thinking is to organize your files in a way so that when you go in, you don't have to go and worry about that it's messy. It's all in one place, and you can say, you know what, this is an old file, an old set of files. I can get rid of them. One of the ways that I've also done this, it, it, being a Gmail user, um, but I think that there, you can do this with multiple. I mean, you can do this with Outlook. I've, I have this as well, is I've set up a search um, in Gmail to bring back all of my email that's older than a certain period of time. I made the decision a while back that I don't need most of my email longer than three years from a personal standpoint. There's a lot of email that I'd like to keep longer than three years, and I do, but I don't need to keep everything forever. And so I've basically set up a little search tool that if I click the button, it will automatically bring back all the email that's older than three years old, and I go to the top of that list and I say, do I need any of this stuff anymore? And I just get rid of it. It takes me 30 seconds to go through it every day. And it's just an easy way to get rid of older email when you don't have the tools that can do it automatically. Building some sort of process to do that is, I think, a good idea. Here's my last tip that I also find useful is we've been talking mostly about the storage that you have on your computer. We really haven't talked about storage that you have on your mobile devices. And um, I know if you're an Android user, for those of you who might be using Android out there, I don't think think that iOS has this, they may not have the issue the same way, but an Android phone, an Android device works much the same as your computer, is that it accumulates junk files, it accumulates things over time, and there's actually a Files Go app that Google has that is a terrific file manager, but it also allows you to delete all the caches on your phone. So if you've been watching videos, they store cache. If you use Google Maps, it stores the caches of the maps that you've used. If you you know go on Instagram, it'll keep a track of what you've been watching. And it keeps backups of all that stuff that you don't need to keep on your phone. I really love it. I keep that thing clean. I delete programs I haven't used in a really long time. It'll say, 
say, here, you haven't used this program in over six months. Do you want to get rid of it? It's a great idea to do that. So I, I think don't limit yourself to cleaning just your computer. Um, look at the other electronic devices in your life and see if it's worth looking at those and, uh, and trying to get rid of some things there, too. Yeah, so I, I actually do use the yearly folders approach, um, and then I also I roll things off. So I don't I don't delete in the same way you do, but typically I'm going to have like folders for the last three years, and then at the end, you know, that I'll roll everything into one folder. That's so so it would say like say. 2015 and before and that's how I do it but I think you're right that sort of that cleanup thing is great the idea of spring cleaning is great I think paying attention to it once a year and then just taking a good hard look at it and for me I have this notion of tech zero where I want to like reevaluate my whole approach to technology and I think that as I said I'm in this transition phase to more of an online thing I'm probably still going to have some kind of mobile what you call mobile back up because it's hard for me not to do that. But I, I think the movement online is, is really important. Any other thoughts to wrap it up, Tom? Not really. I mean, I think that just developing, trying to be more disciplined. I, I hate to say it's another one of those resolutions, but I think you and I talk about it when we do our resolutions podcast is finding a way to get better control over what you have. And I think the problem is, the alternative is, is you get more out of control, is that there's more stuff that's there. It just gets harder. And so why give into that? Go ahead and, and develop a system. It doesn't have to be a draconian system. It doesn't have to be something you deal with every day, but it needs to be something you feel comfortable with. And I think just getting started will make you feel a lot better if you feel out of control of what you have. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. You get home from an event where you've met some potential clients. You create a Text Expander snippet with a follow-up message, use fill-in fields for the contact name and custom topic, quickly produce personalized emails to everyone by expanding and filling in your snippet, share your snippet with colleagues, and everyone gets done faster. Visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Seemed like everywhere I looked on Memorial Day weekend, people were telling everyone to reboot their home and small business internet routers because of an FBI warning. By the way, my ISP remained quite silent on this topic. Some recommended even resetting routers to factory settings and installing new firmware. Now, probably not many users who don't work as network administrators took that one on. Tom, what's the story here and, and what should people really be doing? Okay, so here's the deal. There is some malware out there that was probably created by some Russian state-sponsored hackers, and it's called VPN Filter. It's estimated that this malware has infected somewhere upwards north of 500,000 routers, 
and the malware has the ability to steal your personal information. It can uh, redirect web traffic to spoof websites, although there hasn't been a lot of proof of that that I can tell. One of the things that they have been able to show is it can actually brick your computer or your whatever device is connected to it, is that it can make that unusable. So pretty bad stuff and pretty scary that it's able to do it. The malware specifically is affecting routers made by Linksys, Netgear, and TP-Link. There are a couple of others that are out there, but it's also affecting not only routers, but it's also affecting some, if you have network attack storage or NAS devices, um, it also has the potential to infect those devices as well. Now, what's interesting is the FBI recommended rebooting your router to be safe, and I don't think that can hurt you. I think that's a good idea. Go ahead and do it. But most of the computer security experts that I've seen actually recommend that you perform a reset of your router. And I'm going to argue against Dennis's comments that you don't have to be a network administrator to do it. We'll post a couple of links on how to get that done. It's really not terribly difficult to do it. My recommendation is to avoid worrying about this in the future, use a mesh network system like the Eero system. I went out and looked when I saw the stories on the news, I went out to look and see how people who use Eero uh, to connect to the internet did. And frankly, because the Eero devices don't have a local administrative panel. That's how the malware was accessing it and, and infecting your router. There's no admin panel that is local to you on the Eero devices. It can't be compromised the same way, and they're protected. Um, I think even better, a service like Eero, and I don't want to make this an ad for Eero, but I really have enjoyed using it. It has its own scanning service. It routinely scans your incoming traffic, and it blocks bots and malware and viruses. And so, you know, having that, it's kind of it's something that you don't have to manage. It's something that's being managed, and because it's being managed centrally, then it doesn't have the same weaknesses that having these routers might present. So that's kind of my take. Dennis, what about you? Well, I think it's not really the difficulty of the the reset. It's, it's kind of the scariness of it, because you don't want to take out your network or your internet access because you do something wrong. Sort of the, the big part of the story to me was that the FBI has actually taken over the the place that where, because there was a, a control element to this. So the malware was giving a central location control over these 500,000 routers. And so that could be used to launch attacks, other things. So that control element has now been taken out of the equation. So that's good news for now. But the security issues that led to the problem just mean it could show up in an, another way. So as I did research, the one thing I thought was funny was it's not just me who likes to joke around about how it shouldn't be an issue on uh, turning your your router off and on because uh, with most ISPs, people either feel they do that weekly or daily anyway just to get the darn thing to work. So there's a certain amount of humor in that. And they, they also look to this notion of updating firmware, which is another scary thing. And, you know, to me, it looks like that in many cases, I don't know if this is all, but that uh, it's actually the your ISP that's allowing you to do that or not, or to make that available. Um, so I think there is actually the gap here is really at the ISP level interesting, because I would like to have some guidance from my ISP. I would like to know what the versions of things are, to know whether they're doing the updating, that sort of thing. And, and I think that 
in my case, the ISP has been uh, uh, very quiet about it. And I almost feel like some of these things, Tom, the, the burden might be on that and it might need to be on the ISP, but uh, definitely something to watch in the future because this, to me, feels like a different type of attack than, than we've seen in other cases. You know, it does take advantage of, of known uh, weaknesses, but uh, this was when it does feel a little different and you don't generally get that strong of an FBI warning. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So my parting shot is a little bit of personal joy I've been getting from using the new Gmail. And I don't know, for those of you who use Gmail, if you've upgraded to the new Gmail, hopefully you're noticing that it's a different experience. I'm generally pleased with it. It's not the same as it was before, but that's okay. But one of the features that is new um, along with it is a feature called Smart Compose. There's a Smart Reply option that gives you just a few couple of words like thanks a lot or you know thanks for the input or something like that that are... Um, um, really quick ways to deal with it. Smart Compose is a little bit different. It uses artificial intelligence to basically predict what you're going to say as you're typing it and then offer to complete it for you. So as you're typing along, what I've noticed is it feels like it's reading my mind because it's basing it on things that I've typed in emails in the past and that there are patterns that I follow. And so I'll be typing along and all of a sudden what I intended to say is pretty much laid out there right in front of me and all I have to do is hit the tab button and it immediately completes and fills all that in and I can start from there. And it, I will tell you it's already saving me time in typing things. And so if you already have the new Gmail, then all you need to do is go into your settings, go to general, and then scroll down to the area called experimental access, and then uh, turn on smart compose. It's, it may not be out to everybody by now, but I will tell you, I'm really enjoying writing emails. It's kind of weird, but uh, Gmail smart compose. Dennis. That reminds me, Tom, I was going to ask you how in the heck I find that, because I obviously don't have it at this point. And uh, once again, Google's usability and its settings is just astonishingly bad for a company that's been around that long. Yeah, the settings are crazy, but I will say, the first you need to see whether or not you have a button that says, try the new Gmail. Do you have the new Gmail yet? I thought I did, but uh, you know, maybe maybe that is that yeah. is the issue. But it may not but be. There's no yet. button. Yeah, I suspect that they roll it out in different ways, and I, I yep. just don't have it because I was following directions, and I was going like, "Wait, I, I don't have that." You know, it's my, my settings are a little different because I have a number of the experimental things turned on as well, but not that one. So uh, my parting shots are, uh, you know, again to remind people the availability of our uh, the new edition of our collaboration tools book on the ABA online bookstore, and then. I don't usually recommend just like somebody's Twitter feed, but I found this one recently by accident uh, from an archaeologist named Tisha Verveer, and it's at T-I-C-I-A-V-E-R-V-E-E-R. And she just posts all these really cool archaeological pictures and findings of things that are that come up that you wouldn't otherwise be aware of. And and so recently there was this thing of these ivory carvings from that were done twenty five thousand years ago, and and they're just amazing. So you get pictures like this, different archaeological finds and stuff, and it's just one of those great Twitter feeds that just takes you out of your normal thought process and the normal things you see and and. Really really gives you a different perspective on things. So Tisha Verveer, great Twitter feed to follow. 
And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, and don't forget our show voicemail number. That's 720-441-6820. We love to mention questions uh, that are brought up during our B segment. We invite you to leave a question. And again, that number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you the next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.